Welcome to Real Estate Pro Tips and Strategies. The theme is how to buy a home or sell a home in a changing real estate market. Hi, my name is Pete Sabine and I'm here with my team partner, Leslie Whitney. We are real estate professionals with Compass and the five-star real estate team here in the San Francisco Bay Area. We want to share with you our real estate expertise to give you a competitive edge and provide insight with useful information so you can make an informed decision for your next home purchase. Leslie and I break down the most important aspects of real estate. Future podcasts will reveal how to navigate as a home buyer or seller. Let's begin our podcast. Hello and welcome to this episode of Real Estate Pro Tips and Strategies. The topic today is buyer representation agreements and agency relationships. In this podcast for realtors, we will share why and how to introduce and integrate the buyer rep agreement as a part of your real estate services. For home buyers, we will share the benefits of hiring a broker with a buyer rep agreement. There are some states in our country that require a broker to use a buyer rep agreement with a client. Other states like California do not require a broker to use a buyer rep agreement. Pete, have you used a buyer rep agreement? Yes, in fact, most of our clients prefer to have a professional representation agreement. And the agreement positions us as a real estate professional who is interested in protecting our client's best interest. The agreement demonstrates our knowledge of agency, contract and disclosure laws, rules, obligations, and protocol. And you can attach informative and required advisories and disclaimers to the agreement. And what is your experience using a buyer rep agreement when representing a buyer? How do you approach the client with with an agreement like this? Well, the agreement requires a commitment from the client and it will eliminate the uncommitted buyer who will waste your time. The agreement identifies your client's intention to work with you exclusively, or you'll find out if they plan to work with other agents in the same area. The agreement does provide peace of mind for the real estate broker. You can actually take time off without fear a competitor will attempt to get in the way of your relationship with your client. The agreement is also a cornerstone to prevail in a procuring cause case where your commission is dispute because somebody else is claiming that they deserve the commission for selling a house to your buyer. And the agreement protects your fee from further negotiation during a transaction. It also provides indemnification from claims, claims from incorrect information supplied by a buyer or any material issues that the buyer fails to disclose to you in writing, or also payments for reports and inspections that were arranged by the broker. How many different types of buyer rec agreements are available? There's three types of agreements here in California. There's the exclusive buyer representation agreement, a non-exclusive buyer representation agreement, and then there's the non-exclusive, not for compensation buyer rep agreement. Uh, when does the are you gonna are you gonna explain those three? Do you think I should? Yes, I will. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, when it's in there. Okay. It's yeah. Okay. When does the California Civil Code require a licensee, a real estate agent, to explain the different types of agency relationships to a prospective buyer? Well, technically speaking, if you're going to follow the letter of the law, it's when you have a discussion with the real estate agent where they provide advice and counsel to represent you. All right. And when do most agents try to explain the different types of agency relationships to a prospective buyer? Well, usually in practical practice, it's when the purchase offer is drafted for presentation to the seller. So ask yourself the question, wouldn't you rather know about what agency relationships mean and how they benefit you before you're in the heat of the moment with a deadline to put an offer together and you're trying to comprehend 15 pages of legal documents in a contract, and now you have to try to get your arms around agency relationships at that same time in the same moment. That's why the Department of Real Estate requires a real estate agent 
to provide the agency relationship disclosure when they first enter into an ag agreement to work together. Right. So that's actually a good way to do it, that when you establish a, a relationship with a new client, you go over these things ahead of time right. versus right when you're writing the offer. It's proactive versus reactive. Mm -hmm. So tell us about exclusive versus non-exclusive buyer rep agreements. Why use a non-exclusive agreement? Well, either an exclusive or a non-exclusive agreement will satisfy the civil code and the standard of care broker duties with the buyer regardless of the exclusivity. It also provides the procuring cause protection for broker commission disputes. And why use a non-exclusive not for compensation agreement? When would that apply? So the non-exclusive not for compensation, what does that really mean? It means that your buyer is unwilling to pay you compensation for your services. So are you willing to work with that buyer who's not willing to pay you? In California, brokers are paid representing the buyer from the proceeds of the commission that the seller pays to the listing agent. So nine times out of 10, the buyer isn't paying the real estate broker that's representing them directly anyway. So you could use a not for compensation agreement and be okay. Now what does non-exclusive mean? Non-exclusive means that the buyer is free to work with several brokers, including you, not just you. So the difference between exclusive and non-exclusive is just that. So why would you bother to have a non-exclusive agreement with your client? And the reason for that is, regardless of which of the three agreements you choose to work with your client, all of the agreements satisfies the civil code and standard of care broker duties with the buyer, regardless of compensation or exclusivity. You're actually in compliance with the Department of Real Estate requirements when you use a buyer rep agreement, regardless of which type. That's interesting. So the non-exclusive, not for compensation agreement really is sort of the loosest of all the agreements. It allows the buyer to work with any other broker and it does not obligate the buyer to pay you. And you're correct. So what does it provide? It, once again, it provides evidence that you have given the buyer a copy of this document that they've signed and in the body of the document, it describes your duties to them, their obligations to you, all of these things that the Department of Real Estate want you to explain and have proof that the buyer has received a copy of that information. So they want you to use it, but what if you don't use it? Are you then not being compliant with the DRE? You're correct. You are flying without a net. You're setting yourself up. If there's a problem between you and your client and they hire a really sharp real estate litigation attorney, you have big problems on your hands because right out of the gate, you have failed. You have breached your duty to your client to provide them with these required documents and that leaves you exposed. It's not a good place to be. So why do so many agents not use any buyer rep agreement? You know what? I wanna save that question for a little bit later <laughs> okay. because I wanna to explain to you why it's beneficial to the buyer, and then we'll come back to that. Is that fair? Okay. So right. how does the buyer benefit from using a buyer rep agreement with their agent? So number one, the agreement describes the property to be acquired. And it doesn't have to be specific to one house, although it can. It can be that specific or it can be very broad in general. But typically that provision describes the type of the property, whether it's a house, a farm, a ranch, a lot, whatever it is, the location. Now it doesn't have to be a specific street, it can be a region, it could be the San Francisco Bay Area, it could be the state of California, it could be a neighborhood, it could be a zip code, or it could be a county. 
and it also describes the price range. So generally speaking, the way that I use it is I sell homes in my county. So I put in the name of the county and I include some city names that my client's interested in within the county, the type of property, and a broad price range from low to high of where they're shopping for a home. So how is that useful to a buyer? Well, if I have a buyer rep agreement with my client that says I'm their exclusive broker in Contra Costa County only, that frees up the buyer to do what? Work with other realtors outside of Contra Costa County. That's fine with me. I hope they do because I don't work in other areas but Contra Costa County. And with transferee buyers relocating into a region, it's very common for them to shop the entire region with several brokers to figure out where they want to buy a home. So I'm okay with that. The other thing that the buyer rep agreement does is it provides clarity about agency relationships with the buyer. It's best to know in advance of viewing properties and making offers if you have concerns or questions about dual agency representation. What is dual agency? We're going to get into that a little bit later in this conversation, but that's really important that a buyer understands what dual agency means, and not all buyers are comfortable with dual agency representation. It also talks about the confirmation of agency relationships. It identifies when an agency relationship might shift from the buyer's exclusive agent to a dual agent. It provides the required disclosure that the broker may represent more than one buyer for the same property that your client is seeking to acquire. Wouldn't a buyer want to know that? Of course they would. Buyers are also usually unaware and assume that when their offer is presented to a seller, it's confidential, not in California. In our state, all offers presented to a seller are not confidential unless both parties agree to sign a confidentiality agreement up front before the offer is delivered. I can assure you that virtually every buyer I've ever met had no idea that their offer was not confidential. It also identifies any compensation to the broker. So it identifies the compensation the buyer is obligated to pay the broker, if any, and the protection period beyond the buyer rep agreement expiration date, meaning that after the representation agreement expires, and all, represent, all representation agreements have an expiration date, just like a listing agreement has an expiration date. So what that means is, is that if the buyer buys one of the properties that you showed them during the term of your agreement, after it expires, as an example, up to 90 days after the expiration date, if the buyer buys one of those properties that you introduced to them, they owe you a commission. It also explains the buyer's obligation to pay compensation. Our agreement states that if anyone other than the buyer compensates the broker for services covered in this agreement, that amount should be credited toward the buyer's obligation to pay the compensation. So what does that mean? Generally speaking, we're going to be looking at properties posted on the MLS, the Multiple Listing Service. And there is an offering of compensation from the listing agent that comes from the seller from the proceeds of sale when the escrow has closed. That relieves the buyer's obligation in most cases to pay their agent anything. So it's important to have that identified in the buyer rep agreement. It also says that if the compensation paid by others exceeds the compensation that the buyer is required to pay, it will be disclosed to the buyer. It also states the broker's authorizations and obligations. It clearly defines what you have authorized and states the broker's obligations to perform. So in other words, if you authorize your broker to do something for you on your behalf as your agent, you can write that in. You can add that into the agreement. That can be a lot of things. It could authorize you to talk to their lender, to talk to their financial planner, to talk to their trust attorney, to communicate 
with others that are connected to the buyer's situation in buying a home. The authorizations can be expanded by addenda. They clearly define what the duties will and will not be performed by your broker. So wouldn't you want to know when you hire somebody to work for you what they're going to do and most and equally important, what they're not going to do, right? Yes. Is it good to get, enter into a professional relationship and make assumptions about who you hired, about what they're going to do and what's not, what they're not going to do? To me, that's a recipe for a problem. So the scope of broker duty is clearly defined. And if that scope needs to be expanded beyond what's in the agreement, you can do that by mutual written agreement with an addendum to that. It also clearly defines the buyer's obligations within the buyer rep agreement. What does that look like? In most cases, the buyer needs to get a loan. The buyer needs to show up and look at properties. The buyer needs to do this. The buyer needs to do that. It's not a one-sided relationship. It's not the broker doing all the work and the buyer just sitting back waiting for something to happen. It's a teamwork effort. The buyer needs to show up when the broker has properties for them to view. The buyer needs to deliver documents to the lender to get pre-approved. The buyer needs to pay for inspection reports. The buyer has duties and obligations as well as the broker. And then there's dispute resolution. So the dispute resolution provisions are between the buyer and the broker. So in the event there is a dispute for any reason, there are elections of mediation, arbitration, and court proceedings. And it's good to know in advance of writing a purchase offer about your options on dispute resolution because dispute resolution is also a part of a purchase agreement. So the buyer rep agreement has a lot of things that the buyer needs to understand and get comfortable with before they actively go out and look for a home to buy. Well, that's quite detailed, and there's a lot of things that are covered in the buyer rep agreement. Um, and like you said, you, this is a chance for people to add things to the agreement depending on the situation. And for our clients, we include the buyer guarantee and the cancellation provision. Right. What are those? Yeah, so it's pretty straightforward. What it says is that if the buyer decides for any reason prior to entering into a binding purchase contract to buy a home, if they choose to cancel, then we will release them early before the buyer rep agreement expires. So things happen. People lose their jobs. People change their mind. People decide not to relocate from Texas to San Francisco and they go to LA instead. There's a lot of reasons during the process of looking for a home to buy, that a buyer may decide that they need to change their plans. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're, they want to cancel early because of what you did or didn't do. It's just that their circumstances can change. Now, along with that, sometimes people want to cancel the agreement because of what you did or didn't do. So our buyer guarantee and cancellation provision allows the buyer to cancel our rep agreement without obligation at any time prior to signing a buyer a binding contract to purchase a home. Once you've entered into a binding agreement to purchase a home with the seller, you're in it to win it and we have to stay with you to represent you because we are actually part of that process. We we helped you get the contract accepted and now we're, we have to take it to closing. Yeah, I think it's important to point out that it's it, this agreement isn't going to force anybody to work with a particular agent, with that agent. I mean, I don't think anybody is going to do that. Um, well, you, why would you want to work with somebody that doesn't want to work with you for any reason? It's not a great dynamic. It's usually not going to be a pleasant experience. You know, it's kind of like being married. If somebody wants out, do you really want to stay married to them? I don't think I would. You know, I mean, you can take it to that level and trying to understand the why behind right. it. But I think that's important. So let's go back to that question that we pushed back. Yes. So 
we know that lots of agents don't use a buyer rep agreement at all, especially here in our in the Bay Area. And what might be the reason for that? What do you think? Why do yeah. you think agents don't want to don't feel it necessary to use a buyer rep agreement? Well, let's talk about this. Let's put it into context that might give you some pause for thought. So, if I wanted to sell my house, what is it that we do to help a seller before we start helping them sell their house? What is it that we enter into? We enter into an employment agreement. They the seller hires our broker to represent them and promises to pay them a fee if and when the house sells. That's called a listing agreement. When a buyer is looking to buy a home and they want to hire a realtor to represent them, doesn't it make sense that we have a representation agreement between both parties? I mean, think about this for a minute. Would you hire somebody to sell your home without a written agreement? Probably not. I mean, really, I don't think there's anybody out there that would just say, hey, bring me a buyer and maybe I'll pay you. Who's, gonna, who's going to sign up for that? Why do realtors work with buyers under the same dynamic? Hey, find me a house and maybe I'll buy it from you. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll buy it from the six other people I'm working with. It doesn't make sense to me. So the why behind it, here's my theory. Number one, if real estate brokers made it a requirement to work for their company that you had to use a buyer rep agreement, that would solve the problem. But what's bigger than that is, why doesn't the state of California, the Department of Real Estate, make it a requirement that all licensed brokers who have licensed salespeople working for them, why aren't they required from the Department of Real Estate to use a buyer rep agreement. Because I just went through the document with you and we looked at the benefits to the consumer and they're substantial. It explains our scope of duty. It explains our obligations. It gets into explaining agency relationships, compensation, dispute resolution. Think about this for a second. Why are we allowed to operate from the seat of our pants with a buyer who's making one of the largest financial commitments that most people ever make, buying the most expensive asset they'll ever own without a formal representation agreement that protects them between the broker they hired and themselves? It's hard for me to get my arms around why that's okay. I just don't get it. But why do you think most agents don't use it? Well, because their broker doesn't require it and the state doesn't require the broker to use it. But what I hear, the most common reason I hear is that, well, if I ask my buyer to sign this buyer rep agreement, they might not want to. And then they're going to go work with some other broker and then I get nothing. Mm -hmm. Well, there could be some truth to that. But let's think about that for a minute. Don't you think that the consumer, the buyer, wants professional representation? Don't they want a written agreement that clearly defines what you're supposed to do for them? Of course they do. Right. And if a buyer doesn't want to work with one agent but wants to work with several for whatever reason, that's fine. A buyer can do that if they want to. And we have an agreement for that. But at it's least... called a non-exclusive agreement. My point is, is that whether you... Putting the type of relationship aside, whether it's exclusive, non-exclusive, or non-exclusive not for compensation, there should be a written agreement, an employment agreement that meets the Department of Real Estate standard of care requirements at a minimum between the consumer and the broker. I can't find one reason, one good reason for consumer protectionism to allow us to operate without that fundamental foundation piece in place between the consumer and the broker. Can you think of one? No, not at this moment. But <laughs> let me run another scenario by you. Okay. A buyer and an agent, they have an exclusive buyer rep agreement. And the buyer finds a house he loves. 
and the listing agent offers him a really great deal if the buyer works with the listing agent directly. Sure. It's a great deal. He can't pass it up. Really? Okay. And sure, he that, wants, happen. that and, does happen. Yeah, and he, he wants to go with the listing agent. Yeah. But meanwhile, he has this buyer rep agreement in place. Okay. What happens and what are his options? So who is the listing agent working for? A, d a completely different agency. Broker. Doesn't matter. Who employed the listing agent? Oh, who? the seller. So who is the listing agent working for? The seller. Okay. So we're going to get into agency in a minute. So who whose duties are... Whose obligations to the seller? Let me now. Let me start that over. Let's just say this straight up: the listing agent has a fiduciary duty to the seller, not to the buyer, mm -hmm. because of the listing agreement. Yes. We're going to talk about what a fiduciary is in a minute. What does that mean? So you ask the listing agent to represent you, but you're not getting the same level of representation necessarily as you would if you had your own agent representing you. So let's say that you go step into a court of law. You want to hire the attorney for the defendant to represent you as the plaintiff? Right. No. Of so course not. So why would you want to have yes, somebody well, represent you that's also representing the other party? It doesn't make no, sense. No, absolutely right. And that's the whole dual agency yeah. Double uh, double um, representation conversation, but just yes. in regards to the buyer rep agreement, yeah, the buyer now can't go directly to the listing agent unless the buyer's agent is willing to let them out of that agreement. No, right. no, the buyer actually can, but if the buyer has signed a buyer rep agreement. If they buy a house during the term of that buyer rep agreement, which is exclusive and for compensation, mm -hmm. and they do not buy through that agent, that broker, they buy from a different broker, forget the reason why, it doesn't matter. Right. They now owe right. that broker that they hired a commission. Right. That's what I was getting at. Right. So there's an incentive for that buyer not to want to do that. Right. Because that's a lot of money they're going to have to pay somebody out of pocket. Right. Or work it out ahead of time with his agent and try to get out of the agreement. But yeah. Okay. Yes. Interesting. Okay. So why aren't they being used? Because they're not legally required in the state of California. That's the fundamental yes. basic reason. And then regardless of that being a factor, brokers don't have a requirement employ these realtors and then the realtors have the fear factor of losing a client because they asked their client to sign a buyer rep agreement right well interesting story and i know you've had this experience as well but recently when i showed a buyer some homes and then i at one of our meetings at one of the showings i came with the buyer rep agreement all filled out and ready to go and i sort of briefly explained it to them i said here's a a buyer rep agreement that we have that we use. And he was so ready to sign it. And he, he was quite impressed that we even had it and that I was prepared and it was filled out. He said he was in sales and he got it. Like, of course we need an agreement amongst ourselves. And so oftentimes the reception of these buyer rep agreements are actually pretty positive because yes. it makes the buyer feel like now they have a real professional relationship with you. Right. They feel like they're being taken seriously. Right. Um, and especially if they're in sales or they just understand the importance of a transaction like this, they're actually very receptive to it. So here's that's another, been my experience. Yeah, here's another thing. Here's how you can think about a buyer rep and agreement. It's like an engagement agreement. When you hire an attorney, an architect, you're signing an engagement agreement. You can go in and explain what you want and all that in an interview, a first meeting, where there's no commitment on either side. But when you both decide that you want to work with each other, the next step is an engagement agreement. So with buyers, I don't have my buyer sign a buyer ref agreement when I first meet them. We need to make sure that we're right for each other. So practically speaking, this is how I typically work with buyers. 
on the way, on the path to an engagement agreement. I meet someone in an open house. They tell me what they like. I tell them how I work. Seems like there's a good match there. I set up an interview to meet with them again in a quiet room where I can ask questions, get them to know what they're looking for better, have them get to know me better. And then even at that step, we go out and we do a tour of houses. I want to make sure that I can meet their expectations. Remember, when you sign a buyer rep agreement, it's a two-way street. Not only are they obligated to you, you're committed to them. I want to be careful that before I enter into a binding employment agreement, that we're right for each other. So when we go out looking at homes together, I want to see how they respond to that whole experience. Can I meet their expectations? And I'll tell you a story. I had transferees come in from Houston many years ago, relocating job transfer. They were coming out of a 6,000 square foot solid brick home, custom made on an acre with a pool in a gated community. And they were moving to a neighborhood in my area, same price point. And here's what you get for the same price. Three bedrooms one bath, wall heater, 1,200 square feet, slab floor, 6,000 square foot lot in a blue collar neighborhood. So we went out looking at homes and it was not a pleasant experience. The family was in the car and after about the third or fourth home, the wife realized that their lifestyle was about to drastically change. They were, had the best schools, the best of everything. They were making a significant change in their life. So at the end of the day, things got really quiet. And they didn't take the job? They decided. They thought it through that they were not coming to California, mm. at least not to the Bay Area. They just couldn't do it. And I couldn't blame them. That's a huge step backward for people to do. Now, if I had a binding agreement with them, I'd have to unwind that unnecessarily. So rather than getting into a solid commitment, make sure that you can meet their expectations and that there's a good match. There has to be a certain energy, I believe, because it's a relationship business. Yes. Real estate is basically a people business, and the byproduct of the relationship is you're selling real estate, right? So people work with people they like and trust. Mm -hmm. You might have all the knowledge and the track record and the fanciest car and all this stuff that goes with the trappings of being a realtor. But if they don't like you or trust you or both, why would you want to be in a committed yes. relationship with that person? It's, Remember the marriage analogy? I was, well, it's like dating. Earlier? They should have a dating rep agreement. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, it would actually be quite useful to set up everyone's yeah. expectations yeah. ahead of time. But now, okay, so let's say we go through the trial run. Everything goes great. They're happy with the inventory, what they can get for the money. They like me. They trust me. At that point in time, that's when it's appropriate to enter into a binding rep agreement. Same thing with listing a home. You don't go out and expect to sign the listing the first time you get the call. Sometimes that happens. But typically you go out, you meet with them, you look at the home, you find out what their goals, their plans, and their objectives are. You come back with the proposal, you present it to them. And if there's a good fit and a good match and they like and trust you, chances are you're going to have a binding employment agreement to list and sell their home. It's the same dynamic with the buyer. That's how we do it. So now let's move on to the, another topic related to this that we've touched on a little bit regarding agency relationships. Since 1988, California real estate licensees, also known as realtors, involved in certain types of real property transactions have been required to provide written disclosures to both the seller and the buyer of the agency relationship options which are available to secure their agreement to a particular form of agency and to confirm that agreement in writing. Disclosure and confirmation are two different steps in the agency disclosure process that must be given to the buyer and seller at different times during the real estate transaction. Agency disclosure should really be called 
agency education because the agency disclosure form is a statutorily defined form that ed educates the seller and buyer as to the duties and responsibilities of a listing agent, selling agent, and dual agent. The purpose of the agency disclosure is not to select who is representing whom and if a real estate broker is acting as a dual agent in this particular transaction. So that's a lot to understand. It is. And I'm going to tell you straight up that it's very confusing. It is. It's confusing not just for the consumer, but it's also confusing for the real estate licensee, yes. the realtors. A lot of them say they understand it, but right. I can tell you in practice, many don't. I have come across that too. Yeah. Agents who have been in the business for some years still don't understand what dual agency means. So we're going to try to really confuse you with this. <laughs> <laughs> and really, the, re this, the reason why this is important is that the seller and a buyer just need to understand who's representing whom right. and and what is the relationship between all these different parties, the mm -hmm. buyer, the seller, and the agents and the brokers. Right. So we're so, gonna get into that. Okay. So what are the difference what are the different real estate agency relationships and what are the related duties to a buyer or seller? All right. So let's first define what agent means in the context of real estate agency relationships with a buyer or seller. Number one, the agent is the company that employs the real estate licensee who represents the buyer or the seller or both the buyer and the seller in a real estate property, in a real property transaction. The agent is not the individual licensee, the real estate agent. So in other words, <laughs> that's confusing. So <laughs> let me let me make it clear to you. I work for Compass. Compass is a broker. I'm a real estate agent under the employment of Compass. Right. So let me continue. The agent in the context of an agency relationship with the public is not me, the realtor. It's the broker. So remember, you're when you're hiring a broker to represent you, you're hiring a company who happens to have many agents, in most cases, working for them. So keep that, hold on to that thought. When we're talking about the agent in the context of agency relationships, it's the broker, not the real estate agent, agent licensee. Right. And so this word agent yeah, gets confused. It does. Okay, okay, so let's move forward. So the disclosure regarding real estate agency relationships form defines three distinct categories of agency, as well as their respective duties and obligations to a buyer or seller. So the three categories are a seller's agent, a buyer's agent, and an agent representing both the buyer and seller. So when you hear the word agent, we're talking about a broker, a company, Caldwell Banker, Remax, Century 21, Redfin. We're not talking about Pete Sabine or Leslie Whitney. We're talking about companies. Okay, so let's talk about a seller's agent. A seller's agent under a listing agreement with the seller acts as the agent for the seller only. A seller's agent has the following affirmative obligations to the seller. A fiduciary duty of utmost care, integrity, honesty, and loyalty in dealings with the seller. Now, to the buyer and seller, that agent has an obligation to exercise reasonable skill and care and performance of the agent's duties, a duty of fair and honest dealing and good faith, a duty to disclose all facts known to the agent materially affecting the value or desirability of the property that are not known to or within the diligent attention and observation of the parties. The parties are the buyer and the seller. An agent is not obligated to reveal to either party any confidential information obtained from the other party that does not involve the affirmative duties set forth. <laughs> Is that clear as mud? Okay. So what did I just say? The seller's agent 
has an exclusive duty to the seller. Their interests are above everybody else's. To sum it up, the seller is put at the top of the pyramid, on the, the top of the pedestal. That agent's duties are one of a fiduciary. Fiduciary is similar to an attorney, client, doctor-patient relationship, confidential. Their, their needs and interests and goals are of utmost importance. They put those ahead of the brokers and anybody else's. So when you're an exclusive agent for the seller, the seller is king. Everybody else is beneath them. Does that make it clear? Yeah. So back to your question, if a buyer wants to make an offer on a listing agent's listing and there's no buyer rep agreement with the buyer, in many cases, the seller, the listing agent's allegiance because of the fiduciary requirement is one where they're working for the seller and their interests are ahead of the buyers. In some cases, that's how it plays out. Let's talk about a buyer's agent. A buyer's agent can, with the buyer's consent, agree to act as an agent for the buyer only. This is where the buyer rep agreement comes into play with agency. This is why buyer rep agreements are good for the buyer because of agency. In these situations, the agent is not the seller's agent. Even if by agreement, the agent may receive compensation for services rendered from the seller. What does that mean? It's what I said earlier. Most of the time we show and sell homes on the MLS. The listing agent is offering compensation to the agent representing the buyer. That compensation is coming from the seller's proceeds. It's essentially the seller's money through the listing agent being paid to the buyer's agent. That does not mean that the buyer's agent gets to put the seller's interest above their buyers just because they're getting compensated by the seller. How's that for confusing? <laughs> so an agent acting only for a buyer has the following affirmative obligations to the buyer a fiduciary duty of utmost care, integrity, honesty, and loyalty in dealings with the buyer. And to the buyer and seller, diligent exercise of reasonable skill and care and performance of the agent's duties, a duty of fair and honest dealing and in good faith, duty to disclose all facts known to the agent, materially affecting the property, value, desirability, and the agent is not obligated to reveal to either party any confidential information obtained from the other party that does not involve the affirmative duties set forth. So, are we still confused? Where is that text from? Oh, it comes right from the civil code, from okay. the disclosure form. That's what I, I didn't dream this up. <laughs> Just this making is, sure where the this is sources cut and paste. I did not make any liberties with any of this text because it's that important. It's really super important that you understand. Who is representing you and what their duties are to you? So if you hire a broker to represent you and they have not given you the agency disclosure form until you write the offer and they haven't confirmed their relationship to you because you don't have a buyer rep agreement, what does that leave you with? Nothing. You don't know who's really working for you. So okay. when must a written agency disclosure form be provided to the buyer? When you first have a meaningful conversation that involves advice and professional services, providing any professional services, you are required by the Department of Real Estate to provide that agency disclosure. That rarely happens without a representation agreement. So let's go on to the next one, because if you're not confused yet, this will confuse you. Okay. Let's talk about what is known as a dual agent. That's an agent that is representing both the buyer and the seller. Now, once again, that's not the real estate salesperson representing both the buyer and seller. It's It means the company. In this case, let's say it's Compass, our company. So in that context, a real estate company agent, either acting directly or through one or more associate licensees can legally be the agent of both the buyer and seller in a transaction, but only with the knowledge and consent of both the buyer and the seller. Why do you need consent for a dual agency? 
because not everybody is comfortable with having one company, one agent representing both parties. They're has, just not. Has that ever happened to you? Yes. Not one agent, but one broker. Company. Okay. It has. That's taking it to the extreme, but let's talk about that in practical terms. So when you're signing a buyer rep agreement with your broker, there is a specific provision, a <clears throat> disclaimer about dual agency. And you actually have to check the box to authorize it, to say that you're okay with it. Because what that means if you're not okay with it is that I can't show and sell any other Compass properties to you because we will have a dual agency if you decide to buy one of those homes. I can only show you my listings. Or other brokers. Or other brokers, yeah. right. So that's the thing here is that dual agency needs to be understood that it's the company involved. When can that be different? So you can have two different types of dual agencies. You can have a dual agency where Compass is the only company involved, but there's two different Compass agents. That happens all the time. The listing agent works for Compass and the selling agent representing the buyer works for Compass. Very, very common. Compass has huge market share. The odds of me finding a home that's represented by a Compass listing agent that you're going to want to buy is extremely high because we control a lot of the inventory that's for sale. That is a dual agency. It does not mean that there's only one realtor involved between the buyer and the seller, although it can. That's another form of dual agency. So let's say that you're that buyer that wants to renege on your buyer rep agreement and buy direct from the listing agent so you can get that really good deal that you described, whatever that might look like, and save all this money. <clears throat> you now have a dual agency. You have one individual licensee between the buyer and the seller. Even if there's no buyer rep agreement with that buyer and there's just a listing agreement with the seller, that is a dual agency. And by the way, to make things even more confusing, you can create an agency relationship with a client by your actions, even if there's nothing in writing. In other words, you come to me, sit down at a table, we talk about how to buy a house. And I start giving you all this great advice, tell you how to do it, what to do it, who to call, where to go, all those things. If I start acting as if I'm representing you, basically I've created an agency relationship that hasn't been formally disclosed with that document, the disclosure that we talked about, nor has it been confirmed with an employment agreement. But that doesn't mean I haven't created an agency relationship with you. And so real estate agents can find themselves in this trap where they find a home that's for sale by owner. And the seller says to the agent, hey, you know, I don't want to pay a commission, but if you bring me a buyer and you help me get through the sale, I'll let your buyer buy my house. They just have to pay you. I'm not going to. Have you created an agency relationship? Well, if you get involved, you bring a buyer in, and you start doing things that for, are for the seller's benefit to meet the contract obligations. If you help guide them through that, you've created a dual agency relationship between the seller and the buyer. Unwittingly, possibly, but it's still a dual agency. And just to let you know how seriously the Department of Real Estate takes the disclosure and confirmation of agency relationships between a buyer and a seller, if you don't handle the confirmation of who's working for whom and the disclosure requirements, the sale can be rescinded if one party after escrow closes is unhappy with how things went, that you can actually unwind a transaction over that. That's pretty extreme. That's how seriously the Department of Real Estate is, at least in our state, with agency requirements of a broker. It's not to be taken lightly. So to continue on with dual agency. In a dual agency situation, the agent, the company, 
has the following affirmative obligations to both the buyer and the seller. A fiduciary duty of utmost care, integrity, honesty, and loyalty in the dealings with either the buyer or the seller. Furthermore, in representing both the buyer and seller, here's where it gets fun. The agent may not, without the express permission of the respective party, either the buyer or the seller, disclose to the other party that the seller will accept a price less than the listing price or that the buyer will pay a price greater than the price offered. Hmm, how does that play out in the real world? Well, let me share with you how that plays out. Let's say a buyer comes to me, I have a listing. I have a seller agency exclusive agreement between my seller. My duty is to the seller. Now this buyer comes into the picture, walks into my open house, falls in love with the house, is not represented by anybody else, wants me to represent them in the purchase of that house. So I'm about to create a dual agency, whether there's a writing or not, I'm gonna be in a dual agency situation by my actions. I now, in a dual agency, have an equal fiduciary duty to both parties, which is different than being the seller's exclusive agent because I only have a fiduciary duty to the seller, not the buyer. And in a buyer's exclusive agency, I only have a fiduciary to the buyer, not the seller. But in a dual agency, that fiduciary duty is equal to both parties. So just hang on to that fact. So now it comes go time. Buyer sits down with me. We spend all night hashing out the terms of the offer. Then it gets to the price. And the buyer looks at me and says, you know, I know the house is listed for 500000 but what's the lowest price the seller will take? Now, I might know what that number is. My seller may have told me that when I took the listing. Hey, let's try 500000 but I'll go to four fifty if I have to. I just need to get gone. So my fiduciary duty, unless I have written permission to the contrary, I can't disclose how low the buyer, the seller will go off the asking price, not even by a dollar. I have breached my fiduciary duty. So what do I say to that buyer? Because I know it's 450. So all I can say because of the fiduciary duty here is that, you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, allowed to disclose that to you my recommendation would be to make an offer at the price you feel comfortable with and I'll do my best to get that accepted. Can't guarantee anything, can't disclose uh, where the seller will go beyond the list price that they're asking. So the buyer goes, okay, well, let's try 470. But I really want this house, it's perfect for us. My wife will kill me if we don't get this house. I'll pay 495 but don't tell the seller. Okay, so now we put the offer together at 480. What happens next? I get on the phone with the seller. I email the offer to them. We set a time to review it. They're looking at the price and they're going, look, I love everything about this offer, but 470, you know, how high will that buyer go? Now I know he told me where he would go on the price, but I don't have permission from that buyer to disclose to my seller, my client, how high the seller, will, the buyer will go above the offer price. So I have to say essentially the same thing to the seller, don't I? I have to say to the seller, look, I'm not at liberty. I'm not allowed to disclose anything other than the price that's being offered. Why don't you make a counter proposal to the buyer at a price that's comfortable for you and I'll see if we can get that approved. So do you see the box that a realtor gets put in in a dual agency with the fiduciary duty obligation that an agent and a broker has to both parties that is equal? It's not a comfortable place. And it's in many cases, it's really not a great thing for one real estate agent to be between a buyer and a seller. It's very, very difficult to uphold the fiduciary duties that you have equally to both parties without tripping and breaching your duties to one or both parties in the process of going through what's often a very complicated real estate sale. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. So are we still confused? No, sure? I'm not. I... <laughs> okay. 
I passed the test. I'm confused now. No. (laughs) Okay. So another question, how and when does the confirmation of agency relationships occur? Or did we cover that already? <laughs> Wait, I see a different question. Now, when must agency, we talked about that. Well, let's talk about it again, because I think this is good. Okay. So let's go over again, when must a written agency disclosure form be provided to a buyer? At what point during the transaction or during when you first meet a buyer? Yeah. So I know that we touched on this earlier, but let's. Yeah. it's so important you get this right. Real estate licensees must provide the buyer and seller with the disclosure regarding agency relationships in every applicable transaction. So in California, that means residential real estate, one to four units, properties of that type. The selling or buyer's agent must provide this form to the buyer as soon as practical, prior to the execution of the buyer's offer to purchase, at a minimum. Actually, prior to the execution of the buyer's offer to purchase is the latest point in time at which the disclosure should be provided. The disclosure form should be provided to the buyer as soon as that buyer seeks the services of the agent in a more than a casual, transitory, or preliminary manner with the objective of entering into a real property transaction. So once again, what does that really look like? When we have that initial interview, when we're talking turkey, so to speak, about what to do, how to do it, strategies, plans, representation, services provided, that's when you should, in fairness to the buyer, provide that disclosure to them and to comply with DRE standard of care practices. So the next question would be how and when does the confirmation of agency relationships occur? Okay, so confirmation is different than disclosure. Both the listing agent, which means the listing broker, and the selling agent, this means the selling or buyer's broker, must elect which form of agency representation they desire as soon as practicable. So what does that mean when there's a listing agreement? The only thing a listing broker can be is the seller's agent. Why is that? Because there's no buyer in the picture yet. We just signed the listing agreement. The property's not for sale yet. There is no buyer. So the only type of agency relationship possible is the seller's exclusive agent. Same thing with working with the buyer. When you sign a buyer rep agreement, the only possible type of representation you can have is a buyer's exclusive agent because there is no seller yet. We haven't made an offer on a property. When can that agency relationship change from an exclusive seller agent or buyer agent relationship? It's when we get involved with buying or selling the property, meaning that if I bring in an offer on another compass listing and I'm representing the buyer, we go from the buyer's exclusive agency into a dual agency. Because remember, Compass, the company, is now representing the buyer because I'm working with them. And the other realtor who works for Compass, we have one company, the agent and agency relationships. We just morphed from an exclusive buyer's agent and an exclusive seller's agent. Now we have a dual agency representing both parties. That's how the relationship can change. So how do you confirm that? How do you make sure that both parties know that we're about to morph from one type of agency to another? It's in the purchase contract. It's so important to the Department of Real Estate that you confirm this change. If it changes, it's the very first thing in a 14-page document. That's how important it is to the DRE. That's why I said earlier, if you get this wrong, It has serious implications to the broker for not handling this correctly. So the agency disclosure must be executed or acknowledged by the buyer, the seller, and licensees prior to or at the same time as the client executes the purchase contract, a listing agreement, or a buyer representation agreement. The listing agreement or buyer rep agreement And the purchase contract allows the broker and client to elect and confirm the agency relationship. 
And note that different licensees within one broker cannot have different agency relationships with a buyer or a seller. All licensees within a broker company must represent the same parties in a transaction. In other words, the broker is the agent for a buyer or seller in the context of agency relationships. So here's where realtors get confused and can find themselves breaching their duty of agency. So let's play this out for a minute. So Leslie, you have a listing in Oakland mm -hmm. and my buyer wants to make an offer. We get the offer accepted. We did everything right. We did the disclosure forms early before the offer was written and when the listing was taken, we did that right. We did the confirmation correctly in the contract before it was accepted by both parties. We put in the very first page at the top, we confirmed that Compass is representing both the buyer and the seller and our clients are okay with that. We explain to them how this works. Now, the offer is accepted. What some agents fail to do is shift their mindset. A lot of agents maintain that my client is the seller and they forget that their client is also the buyer. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. In other words, they're still operating that their seller is king and everybody's beneath them. That is no longer the case in a dual agency. We can have two kings in that relationship. We have to. The fiduciary obligation, when it shifts to a dual agency, requires that both the buyer and seller are held in the same esteem from both individual real estate licensees that are serving them. And any other licensee within Compass has to treat the buyer and the seller in that transaction the same. There can't be favoritism of one over the other. And a lot of agents get that wrong. They behave differently. They behave like your client should do that. And I don't have to do that. I'm not working for them. Yes, you are. You're now working for that buyer, just like you're working for the seller and the buyer's agent too. You're now working for that seller equally as you're working for the buyer. And I've seen the agents get this wrong all the time and it can get them into hot water if they don't understand that. Right. Final question is, when is buyer agency terminated? When is that relationship over? When their agent cashes the commission check. <laughs> no, uh, it's, okay, so whenever the buyer rep agreement is terminated prior to the expiration date, if that should happen, the agency, ter the buyer agency is terminated. The, when the agreement expires, the agency's terminated. Or when the purchase transaction has been completed and the title is transferred to the buyer. So in other words, the expiration date of your buyer rep agreement might go past the closing date of the house that you bought with that agent, but the agency right. relationship duties are terminated at close of escrow and the sale is completed. Right. That realtor, therefore, has no further fiduciary yes. duties to you when the sale is completed. That is often misunderstood by both the agent and the buyer because things come up after close of escrow. It could be anything related to the house or related to the transaction. And oftentimes we're pulled back into the relationship. And, and we, we both know that happens with a seller. Or a seller. After escrow yes, closes, too. things come up and they still believe that that agency relationship yeah. is intact. It's not. It's expired. And it's it can lead to lots of misunderstandings. So right. I think it's it, important. And false expectations. Yeah. So it's important to sort of illustrate that ahead of time so that all parties understand that the relationship does end at close of escrow. Okay. Well, this was a really big topic. Lots of good tips and strategies. Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Estate Pro Tips and Strategies. I'm Leslie Whitney. I'm with Pete Sabine. We are the five-star real estate team, and we know how to set the stage for your success. Call us to win with us at 925-297-5335. Discover more real estate pro tips. Find our podcast at fivestarrealestateteam.podbean.com. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. 
We hope you enjoy our real estate pro tips and strategies, and we encourage you to share our podcast with anyone you know who is looking to buy or sell a home. Be sure to like and subscribe, and if you're watching on YouTube, feel free to ring the bell next to the subscribe button so you won't miss a single episode. Thank you to our producer, Sam Lubman, with Painless Podcasts for making this podcast happen. I'm Leslie Whitney with Pete Sabine, and we are the five-star real estate team. Join us for our next episode of Real Estate Pro Tips and Strategies. Call or text 925-297-5335 to reach us with your questions and referrals, or send an email to info at 5starrealestatepro.com.